stacking them deep, selling them cheap. It tastes like gasoline, rubber, and victory. We're just out here stacking packs. Welcome back, guys. Episode three, Stacking Pennies, coming at you. I had a little bit of eventful week, Merriman. I'm just going to go ahead and bring you right in. I'm not going to go riffing, talking about this or that, because before we jump on the show, you offered to give me the mayor of Dawsonville's phone numbers to see if I can apologize to this to the town of Dawsonville for my uh, for my penalties this weekend. Yeah, old, old Mike Easton's got a cell phone number listed there on the website, but I've been reading his bio. I don't know if you want to go down that road. This is this guy's former law enforcement, um, like uh, pretty big investigator. So uh, you just need to take whatever detour you can around Dawsonville, Georgia, uh, for the near well, the foreseeable future. I made sure to set my security system on Saturday, Sunday night because you never know when that mob of the Chase supporters are going to come after you. And they were trying to come after me this week. Let me let me explain why. Both of which wasn't my fault. I actually got the short end of the stick. Let me let me explain the context here. We had a good starting spot, started seventh with our Netflix the crew uh Chevy Camaro. I don't know if do you watch, have you seen that show yet? Yeah, I have. I actually kinda like it, to be honest with you. Not just because yeah, they were on my no. car. I I kinda like it. It's lighthearted humor. It uh, it took me a while to get in the first episode, but by episode two and three, uh, I'm hooked. So that's uh, that's that's the the before bed, I, and and it kind of lets you like watch some dumb, like just dumbed down programming. I love Kevin James. I just I can't wrap my mind around how Kevin James can be a race winning crew chief on one hand and also a mall cop at the same time that that just can't wrap my brain around that uh, how he's able to do both of those so good but we started seventh i ended up missing the bus stop like lap four in the back stretch there because i started wheel hopping real bad and went lost on my track position i'm like shoot now what do we do well we just got to buckle down and get after it right so do the whole race get a couple spots here and there we probably would have if it went green after that green flag stop, though, we probably would have finished 21st, second, somewhere in there. But to Chase's point of view, they threw a entertainment caution. They chalked it up as rain. Who's to say it was raining a little bit too hard? Who's to say it's not? But they put it out. Felt like they needed to put it out. Uh, and they re-racked it. Now, with less than 10 laps to go, what are you going to have? Half the guys coming for tires. Half the guys trying to get out there and, and get some track position. I was on the end of... Hey, I need some track position. I feel like I'm figuring out a little bit. Maybe I can be able to uh, to mitigate some losses and finish somewhere between 14th and 17th as well as the goal. So line up seventh. Martin Truex whistles it down into into Dixie turn one, starts wheel hopping, spins out. Right, I go wide. <laughs> All good, no harm done. Go through three. That little 180 right hander, and then oh, let me back up. I'm sorry. The restart before that, we go through three, and. I've got one eye in my mirror, my back mirror, looking at somebody on my right rear quarter because I'm top of three. Next thing I know, I look out the left window, and the nine car is like Baja dune buggy in it through the grass, and I had no clue he was out there. So, Grant, obviously, he loses some track position. Caution comes out. I'm sure Chase is mad. I'm like, okay, I didn't mean to do that because I had no clue he was out there. So, he lost some track position, and then re-rack it, 19 wheel hop spins out. Now I look at a three, and that Napa Chevy is tucked in wheel 
to wheel with me. I'm like, okay, is he going to ship me here? I don't know. So my plan was to go through the kink, and then I was going to give him the left, or I was going to go, I was going to take the left and give him the right, which would be the preferred groove through five, and then stay on the left to maintain some track position through six to get up on the big track. And the same time I was committing to the left, he was trying to get to my left rear at the same time. So when I went back and looked at it on SMT, uh, he gassed it up to try to get to my left rear while I was gassing it up to try to get out of the way, essentially. And he just ended up picking me up and shipping me into the left side barrier. So that was unfortunate to end our – didn't end our day. We limped it around, but uh, ended our day for any decent result. So that was unfortunate. What you What did you see? It was funny how the Nine Hats Mint Car cameras – and the signal must have got a little fuzzy when he happens to ship me into the into the weeds. So uh, it was funny that didn't make the broadcast. It sounds like you bobbed when he weaved type deal on the second one. No, it was more like I zigged and he zigged when one of us should have zagged. That's what happened. Um, you know, and you'll have that in big time auto racing. You know, our stuff got tore up. We'll just. Yeah, I I think the the main thing with me is, you know, you look at what Logano was able to do out there on old tires. I mean, he ended up finishing second, and I think Chase was was better than he was uh, on that track. I think if in hindsight's twenty twenty, if Chase would have stayed out, I think you know he might end up in Mm. in victory lane. I don't. But no, I think I also feel like that. You know, I said last week or the week before that Chase was going to sweep all the road courses, and you just said, well, Merriman's got to be wrong. So Merriman's got to be wrong from the jump. Yeah, you can't be right. If you if he wins the first one, he has a chance to win them all. So if he didn't win the first one, there I'm go. I'm gonna win that that heads and tails deal. So you know we'll lick our wounds. Let me explain why road course racing is hard. Because when you combine left turns with right turns, that's when stuff gets hard for me. I don't know what it is. It's just I think that might have been my sixth road course race in my life, and they've all been in the Cup Series. Uh, and when you combine that with limited uh, limited practice or no practice in this instance, uh, it's hard to catch up to the guys been doing it for decades. I was so frustrated with just not being able to f- have the speed or make the speed like some of those guys could. I went, I'm getting a shifter cart so I can dick around at GoPro Motorplex to find some speed there. And you know what? I just went ahead and bit the bullet. I got to go get some iRacing and stuff. I got to get it. Any, I got to go get it eventually for these pro invitational races. That is a check that I'm going to, my hand is going to be shaking as I write it because, but you got to do it. Everybody else has got it, and I got to utilize the tools at hand to get a little better at road course racing. So that's what we got. So you haven't gone back and watched anything? I, I went back through SMT, which is the data that you can pull up different guys' throttle and braking controls. And it's almost like dart fish, but a couple variations and, and it's better. You could kind of see what guys are thinking and doing and where their car is. So I, I dissected the crash and I dissected, you know, some of the areas I was. I was weak in. A lot of it's braking just because I'm not comfortable getting that car into the brake zone as deep as some of the other guys like a like a Chase or a McDowell because they have those things tuned in for their feel. And I'm start, I'm trying to work up to that feel, but it's certainly a learned trait that uh, those guys, especially Chase, uh, that would have been – that would have been – let's just say he wins. If I don't get in his way or whatever the fans think I did, that's his fifth road course race in a row. That would be more – it, there, nobody has won more than five road course races in a career. So Ro, Chase Elliott is the road course ringer in the Cup Series, bar none. Well, I was going to say, whatever you do, don't go back and look at what Brad Keselowski did. I have no idea how he finished the race. He smoked his tires 
in every single corner. He missed the bus stop multiple times. There's no way that the tires on his car when he finished that race were round. They had to be flat spotted. He was running on stop signs out there. Uh, yeah, I don't know, man. He uh, and I was I was right around him most of the day, running 18th to 21st. So he got a good finish though. Yeah, I, I was surprised. I don't know if which which strategy he played. I haven't got a chance to watch the race back yet, but. All I know is if I'm cruising through Dawsonville, Georgia, do you think they're going to serve me a hot dog at the pool at the pool room or no? I don't think you get with 50 miles of the place. Well, but here's the thing: if you rewind when when Denny and I had our little Twitter the, our little Twitter beef last year around this time, Dawsonville Pool Room tweeted at me and said when when I win my first Cup race, they're going to ring the siren. So I'm gonna I'm gonna venture to say that deal is off the table for now until I can. Uh, Make some make some forgiveness with those guys down in Dawsonville, Georgia. But you, you got to push him at Talladega to a win. But on the flip side, hey, I, I sound like I'm the one apologizing. I didn't do nothing wrong. Chase tried to put it four wide top, running the grass, his fault, and drove in the back of me, plum wrecked me, damn near killed me. So I'm not apologizing for nothing. There you have it. That's a race car driver right there. There's a race car driver there. So hey, two first winners. Fun fun fact. Uh, both were sixty to one odds or more with their respective uh, wins. So obviously Mike McDowell was a long shot for the five hundred, and Chris Bell was obviously a long shot for this road course race. But the seas parted, and he did he did a damn good job. Got up on the wheel and got the job done. Outdueled Joey Logano in the closing laps to win his first career race. Yeah, out of nowhere, nobody saw that coming. I thought Bell did a phenomenal job on the restart. He almost got cleaned out there by Truex with. The second to last restart, uh, I just thought he was super disciplined in, in the restart zone. I mean, we know from from what we've seen at the Daytona Road Course and what we've seen at the Roval, turn one, you know, you guys get a little antsy and then, you know, everybody just shoots straight off and, and runs off the racetrack. But I thought Bell, he he played it cool. He he did a nice job and, and he, you know, Logano's not a road course slouch by any means. He, uh, he, he did pretty well. Let me tell you something. There is there's no sport from what I believe that that gives you the highest of highs and the lowest of lows so closely together, right? You got Michael McDowell wins the 500 and then turns around in the first corner. He about drives into – about <laughs> drives Orlando, misses the corner. So that 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 brings you back to reality really quick. Uh, he ended up re- rebounding for a good day. I think he finished eighth. And then on the flip side of that, Chris Bell was getting a lot of the blame from getting pushed by, by Kyle Busch and then caused that first wreck on lap 15. So – uh, reading some of his post-race comments, you know, he said he wanted to crawl into a hole after that because he felt like he ruined a lot of guys' day at the 500. You know, I think that shows a lot of maturity for him to come back and rebound and, and put his car in victory lane. Hey, Adam Stevens, you know, mm. on the box. Can't ignore that either. Adam I mean, Stevens, guy... for uh, anybody who doesn't know, was Kyle Busch's crew chief last year. They didn't. They went all season and did not win a race. So second race in. Adam Stevens back in victory lane and that 18 car is not. So maybe we can watch that develop here later in the season. Christopher Bell got a heck of a deal with that thing. I'm pretty sure that uh, he came out on top. Stevens is super good. Obviously, uh, Adam Stevens has a lot of uh, a lot of trophies on his mantle as well as a crew chief. So uh, they're definitely mixing it up over there at, at Gibbs with pit crews and stuff. And I'm excited to get Ryan Flores on because when we were talking about poaching guys in the offseason, that 20 team is a – is a band of guys who came from all different places. So I'm excited to get him on. Let's see what he's got to say here, Merriman. Sounds good. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. 
<sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my! Look at that! He is! And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win! Unbelievable! When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. All right, guys, we're back. Pit Road, Boats and Woes. With my good friend Ryan Flores, front changer with Brad Keselowski's car. What was moving and shaking? And I think, before we get into it, this race in particular was one on pit road. Explain to the listeners why. Hey, look, every race is one on pit road. If you're asking me, but this one for <laughs> sure. Uh, this one for for sure with the with the twenty car on the last stop coming in second, and uh, and they go out the first car on tires. They obviously didn't restart first, but they were the first car on tires. And the nine car, who's arguably uh, the best car all race long, um, lost lost three spots, went out fourth there. So uh, so. And then he gets tangled up with me. It's a, it's a lot less cars to pass, you know, when you're the first car on tires. And uh, you can see Christopher Bell pass Joey there coming to the white, and that's a, that's a big deal. And we were talking about the first episode before we even got down to Daytona, all the guys moving, all the pieces moving and shaking. Some guys from RCR went over to Gibbs. It seems like that Gibbs crew is assembled from guys that came from other teams. Yeah, that 20 car was the biggest, uh, you know, the biggest – story through free agency with uh the front changer and the carrier coming from penske from the 22 car and and the three car um the, the jackman and the rear changer coming from the three so really really good pick crew guys probably some of the top um some of the top free agents this winter went over to gibbs and, uh, and really took a leap of faith they're on good cars and they're going with uh, with more. You know, Christopher Bell's not a rookie, but it's it's his first time in a really good car. So to uh, to do that and win right off the bat, it's a pretty big deal for those guys. For sure, they uh, and they got the job done when the time counts. Second race in, they already punched their ticket to the playoffs. So uh, they'll be racing for a championship here. Now I think everybody kind of had him earmarked for a playoff spot, anyways. But to punch their ticket this early, I'm sure makes those guys feel good. But there was a couple times, uh, like you mentioned before in last week's, they had some left front pulls. Uh, just from that different camber for the road course. Yeah, that's what that's what happened to to the nine car on that last one. You see them get a little bound up, and you saw a lot of saw a lot of left front tire pull issues, on, and and then even hanging issues. You know, we had a we had a problem where we had a flat early, it kind of crinkled the fender, and on the last stop, um, a tire carrier Jesse Mills missed a little bit, and we actually the car ended up leaving with four lug nuts on it because the jack got dropped a little early. So. I'm now the most penalized tire changer in NASCAR. Not something to be proud of, but uh, 
Oh man! But yeah, that, that's, that's explain. The kind of stuff that happens there. So, so we're ex- looking forward to this weekend. Explain to the listeners why you are the most penalized pit changer on pit road right now. So at the end of the race, if you ever if you ever go to the race or watch it, you'll see the official stand at the end of pit road, and they check everybody's lug nuts to make sure they're safe and secured. And um, if they are not, if you have one that is off, it's ten thousand dollars per lug nut. So in the Bush Clash, I had one that was cross threaded about halfway down. Um, that didn't get quite tight up against the wheel. So sometimes you get away with them. It just depends on the official you get. And then this week we had one that was off on the left front. So twenty thousand dollars in penalties I have caused team penalties. I want to I want to I want to talk about where that rule came into effect and why because the pendulum was swung to the side where NASCAR didn't care how many lug nuts you had on. Just don't have the tire fall off. And then we had we had Red Bull making short studs. We had the, the left rear fall off of Brian Baker's car at Charlotte. Uh, and then a couple years went by, and then all the teams were complaining about it. So NASCAR swung the pendulum the complete opposite way. And now, if you don't have all five all five nuts tight to the wheel at the end of the race, they fine you ten grand a nut. So is there not a happy medium that they can put in place to mitigate some of that? Um, so so quickly in, in real quick terms, when they took all the officials off pit road and went to a digital camera system that that pleases um, all of our penalties. The, the, the officials on pit road would call that penalty. You can't see it with the camera. So when they got rid of them um, off pit road, you could just hit how many, however many lug nuts you wanted. So, of course, we just all started hitting four lug nuts. And, um, or three. And one, you know, it's, heck, sometimes three. Um, but that, that just became commonplace. You would just take the fifth one off and just hit four uh, until – a couple companies started struggling with that and other ones started to shine and um and the way to get the, the way to get everything moved in this sport is is to talk about safety and they deemed it a safety issue to only have four lug nuts on so um so yeah now now the five lug nut penalties are, are are pretty big but i don't really think there's any other way to get around it you know it's just it's a rule it's there to stay get your lug nuts on we only got 34 more weeks until you're only hitting one nut man so if you leave that one off, we're having everybody's having a bad day. Oh yeah, that one ain't gonna be good. All right, any call, you'll be getting a call for that one. For yeah, sure. you'll definitely be getting a call for that one if you leave that one loose. Is there anything, anything uh, special about Homestead Miami Speedway? How are the boxes there? They're usually pretty, uh, pretty grippy, pretty large boxes. But anything in particular? Uh, you know that pit wall is gigantic. It's about uh, two foot wide and about four foot tall. It seems like uh, so that that's definitely that can pose an issue with. Some tires getting away uh, at times. It's hard to uh, hard for the guys behind the wall to catch them, um, but but it's going to be a pit stop competition. Homestead turns into that. Uh, you're you're over the, the spot where you're at a speedway race, where you're at a road course race, where you know there's there's some excuses built in with camber or speedway race. They're hard to pit. The, the shock doesn't troop. We're, we're to it now. We're going to see uh, what everybody's team is made of, and uh, and we're going to know this weekend where everybody stacks up. So I think everybody's looking forward to it. And, uh, and we're definitely ready to go. And you said it right. This week in particular is the first one. You don't have interliners. You don't have camber to, to make an excuse with. But that's just on the pit road side. On the competition side, this week is the first intermediate, which Homestead is the true test of downforce and mechanical grip. So we're definitely going to be seeing who is the cream of the crop for the bread and butter of the season. We really only see who's been good on the speedways as well as the road courses. But uh, Homestead will be a great gauge who's strong on pit road as well as on the racetrack. So, Ryan Flores, thank you again. We'll talk to you here next week. Pit Road, Boats, and Woes.
the man of the hours with us. Little driver, as I like to call him, Ty Gibbs. How you doing today? Good, man. Good, man. How are you? Um, I'm good, man. We're just stacking pennies over here. Welcome to episode three of Stacking Pennies. I'm sure you haven't heard of it yet, but we're just trying to make something humongous, and you're going to be part of it. So here we are. First off, I want to ask you, what is that What is that poster behind you? So we got a uh, big zombies paint, um, kind of something to scare me at, I guess, at this point. Uh, just a pretty cool. Um, I really don't know why it's in here, uh, but yeah, we're, you- we're, we'll, we'll run it. Are you a uh, are you a Walking Dead guy? I was for a little bit more I, on the on the game. So I was a uh, I was a big Walking Dead guy, and then once they killed off Rick, man, I kind of got away from it. I haven't even made that. I I don't even. I'm lost. I just played the video game, and that's only as far as I got. I was petrified. En- enough about zombies, man. Let's talk about the meat and potatoes. Let's talk about you. Are the first ever Xfinity Series winner that hasn't run any other nationals touring races they can talk about kurt bush they can talk about this guy or that guy you are the guy that got it done first time how's it feel i i mean i i only have enough words to explain it um it's so much uh like it's so overwhelming uh i i just going in there expecting to run like a top 10 in your first race and have and winning i i don't even know what to say i feel very thankful that i could even be in this position and um it's just a lot of emotions for sure for me and uh and for my whole team. All right, now we're a couple of days removed from the big victory, right? And your emotions are kind of leveled back out. But, like, where do you settle? We had McDowell on after the 500. We're a couple of days removed. Like, has it sunk in yet besides when you look at that trophy? Uh, to be honest with you, it hasn't really set. Like, in fact, I've had moments, but I've, I, it's not fully set into me yet. Um, I'm still uh, – I still get excited now and then at the most random times. Like, last night I was like – I didn't go to bed till like one or four, two in the morning. I was just stoked at that time, just thinking about it. But um, it just, just hasn't set in, which is good because I can kind of spread it out through the whole year, I guess. <laughs> For sure, man. So now I was reading something. That was the first time you ever started up an Xfinity car. First time you ever driven one was the first lap of the race. First time I ever. It was yeah. First time I I never even fired it up till we tar- they told us to start our engines on. So it was. Uh, Filling everything out, like the the power and the and the, and the sound of the car, it's just it's just so different, not knowing what to expect. So, how much time were you able to spend on the TRD simulator as well as iRacing to prepare yourself? Yeah, I spent a good amount of time running sim. I feel like the sim was decently close. I feel like the track is a little bit way newer, honestly, but the um the on the sims definitely helped me out. I feel like that's better than nothing. So, um, I got a lot of time on there, and and especially at my my two rigs, I've got one, and I, I run both of them and um, all the time, every single day. So I think I made millions of miles. It, um, it must be nice to be know. 18 and not have kids and a wife that you have to tend to. You can just sit there and I race all day. I wouldn't I got a dog, and uh, I've got a Doberman, so he's like a little baby. So he's always crying. That's the one thing I got to – that's a, my – responsibility so well, I you, love them, but. you can put some some water in rover's bowl and then get back to i race and continue to to shape the craft yeah. he, he'll go sit up, yeah he'll go sit up my bed and, and watch me and he'll want to go play with my other dogs so he'll try to go open the door i can't believe he opens all our doors it's crazy <laughs> well if he's a dome he's probably twice the size of you because you're like a little he's mini guy getting, yeah he's getting he's getting big he's just turned six months old and he's like 90 80 90 pounds so he's gonna be a big boy all right, so you you win your first ever Xfinity race out, which is unprecedented. Now, how do you like? How do you keep your your goals and your expectations like leveled for the next fourteen you're going to do this year? 
Yeah, that's the one thing I've kind of worked on in the last couple of years of my, my racing career, even my life, like going and expecting things. I kind of go in there with the same mission and, and try to accomplish it and just try to do everything I can to accomplish it. And if I can't, then I, that's part of it. But um, I feel like even going into this race, I, I just thought, I I mean, there's always room to improve in every do in life, but I, I feel like I worked pretty hard on what I, on my craft and, and kind of training and getting and uh and a lot of sometimes so i'm just gonna keep doing that for the next races and um just just keep working at it that's right i got one question before what we do with all of our guests what's a would you rather section so be ready for that i listened to it so i was i'm excited for Uh, all right good we got some good ones for you but i wanted to know before we get into would you rather what is the difference between joe gibbs car owner and joe gibbs grandpa so there's a little bit of a there's honestly there's not that much of a difference um the grandpa side we're playing golf or we're we're going out to lunch we're always talking about stuff and he's always got a lot of stuff to talk about funny stories and then the racing side of it he his personality doesn't change that much no matter what what's going on besides if he he gets a little mad every once while i've made him mad with my brothers before um but he's uh he's he's pretty He's good. He definitely lets you know what he thinks, and um, he's uh, he definitely helped has helped me out a lot, pulling me into the office a couple of times. So it's uh, good to have those talks, and um, he's uh, not not that much not that much different. Yeah, it's cool, man. And and I'll tell you this from my perspective: the older I get, the more I even appreciate the wisdom that that my grandpa and just older people in general have. So soak in as much wisdom from coach as you possibly can is is something sure. I can offer because that guy is a wealth of knowledge. All right. Buckle up here, Ty Gibbs, to Would You Rather. First one. All right, here we go. We're at a mid-summer race in Darlington. It's 130-degree cockpit temperature. You are roasting before you even get in the car, right? You just had a chili cheese dog, and it's not sitting right. Would you rather throw up in your helmet like Daniel Suarez did this week, 10 laps in, and you have to run the rest of the 490 miles with throw up on your stomach or shit your pants? Mm. I'm gonna go with throw up because I've tapped it before in twice of my races, honestly. So, uh, not at Bristol. I had spaghetti before I raced, and that was not never doing that again. I thought I was having a good car. Pre- Hold on, like, kind of time pre- out. Time a out. Spaghetti, like a little bit. It was good. The, the, they did a good job at it. Time out. You've thrown up twice in your helmet before. Uh, I did throw up. Um, I was sick two or twenty. One or 2019, I was in Toledo and I got sick and I, I like I drank a bunch of water. This is this is what happened to me twice, um, but this time I wasn't too hot and I just had kind of like a flu symptom. Yeah. And uh, this is 2019, guys, not 2020. So I, we were okay back then, kind of. Yeah. Um, normal. And uh, so I vomited in my helmet a little bit and then, uh, gosh, the next one was. I was in Kentucky this year, I think, and I just I was like that was a pretty warm race. I you were there, right? Lot yeah. of, last year. It was yeah. pretty decent. And I never raced with a red side window before. So that That'll was the you. first time I experienced that. I was like, it's pretty warm. And uh so I was pounding water like under the caution after we just made a good run and I'm like nervous and so I'm just chugging water and about made about another half a lap, but I just bought I just, like spit up all of it because I was like <laughs> So, but I just took in so much. I was like a, I was like like a dog eating like a pork chop so fast he spits it back up. That's how I I could explain it all over myself. 
it was not even like food. It was just like this, like just saliva water, just oh. all over my suit, everywhere. Oh my goodness! I had to do media. I had to walk around and all of it for like two hours. It smelled awful. It's just don't. You should take your time and kind of roll into the water there a little uh, bit. Yeah, for sure. Rookie, rookie mistake. Rookie now, mistake for sure. Now we know Ty Gibbs serial puker in the race car. Number oh, two for sure. Would you rather lose the five hundred, the Daytona five hundred, on a last lap pass? Or miss mm. miss a Super Bowl winning kick for Grandpa's coach team. I probably, jeez, because you don't want to let you don't want to let Grandpa down, and you're gonna do it one way or the I other. You got to pick one. Pretty good, yeah. I'm probably gonna go the last lap past Daytona. I'll probably lose that over the the, the Super Bowl because you um, got you got another chance to make that up the next couple of years. Yeah, we got another chance. We're not. It's not like we're. It's the beginning of the year, so we can make it up. That's um, right. And it's been done a lot, so. All right, good choice. The last one. Would you rather drive the M&M's car or the FedEx car here in two years? Mm. So that's something I've really been debating because I've got both of them right here. Um, <laughs> He's got the die cast. I got them all. I got them all dialed in right now. Did I see? Desk. Did I see the name scratched out on the roof with Ty Gibbs already written? No, on I had the. Uh, this is actually the. Oh, okay, I got it. Got the. That's All Star car. Yeah, All Star car, but. I can't like that. That's a hard one for me because I've always been. I've always, I've always thought they were both cool. I'm uh, mm. Be be careful how you answer this, young grasshopper. I know. So that's what I'm, I'm saying. Uh, just because Kyle won two championships and Denny hasn't won one yet, I'm gonna go with Denny. All right. I like. I'm gonna go with the FedEx car, but I like both of them equally just because Kyle's got a little more love. I think so. I'm gonna go with Denny. All right. He's a little more polarizing. Okay, you heard it here first. All right, Ty Gibbs, I know you got a lot more stuff going on. I appreciate you jumping on Stacking Pennies with us. I'll talk to you soon. Good job, buddy. Thank you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Man, that kid's awesome. He's a he's a guy. He was that sucker was off the racetrack more than he was on it the other day, Merriman. Did you watch that thing? I did watch it and I had to check the ticker several times. I'm like, who like this kid's in this race? It was uh, you know, I uh, I was super impressed with him. Uh did not think he would he would outduel Cindric there at the end, but he got it done. One for one. That's a pretty good win percentage. Not bad. 
not bad. I think he's going to be okay. He might get a shot at this thing. He might turn out to be pretty good. But we're going to we're going to go into a segment heads or tails. It's starting to be one of my favorite ones because as we look at it, I'm probably up on you. I don't know, 22 to zero right now. So let's let's continue the streak. First one going to Homestead this weekend. Um, it is not the season finale anymore, which I think changes the di- dynamic a ton with the level of aggression and, and guys who uh, are coming and going. So as we know, the Toyotas have a really solid intermediate package with downforce, uh, and they have a pretty good setup. So I'm going Toyotas versus the field. Which one are you taking? I'll take the field. Kyle Larson's in the field, and I think Kyle Larson's going to win this race and make a statement. All right, not a bad, not a bad guess, um, and I'm going to go with that as well, which leads me to my next head to tails: Kyle Larson versus Tyler Reddick. Both of those are Homestead masters. Uh, I think Larson's a little bit more disciplined. Obviously, he's been out of the car almost for a full year, so there's a little bit of a, a you know, TBD. But you know, Reddick likes to bounce it off the wall, and you know, once we go to composite bodies, you know, with that next gen car, you know. I think Reddick has has a chance to be in the conversation, but I, I don't know. I think Larson's got a little bit more to prove, a little bit more of a chip on his shoulder to go out there and win. I'll take Larson. Okay, I'm going to go Reddick there. I'm going to go Reddick there. It's going to be tight. It's going to be tough because Reddick ran fourth there last year, which leads me into my next and last heads or tails. Tyler Reddick versus the white flag. Who wins that one? Oh, uh, it depends what the gap is between him and, and second place. I'd say if it's over a second and a half, he's probably okay. If it's anything under that, um, Hang it's going to be close. Explain to the listeners why I did Reddick versus the white flag. Well, um, you know, he just – he doesn't – he doesn't come off the gas. You know what I mean? Like last lap, he doesn't ride it out. He doesn't take it easy if he's got a gap. You know, he's, he's still – Pushing it 110%. No, I think smack, did, smack the wall. Did you forget that the white flag he thought the race was over last year? Oh, yeah. I just Tyler Reddick this whole heads or tails. Yeah, thing. yeah. You 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 <laughs> mailed it on the white flag, too. Good job. Per, case in point. Merriman yeah, no, versus the last question. Failed. I did, yeah. No, that was uh, – that so could have been bad for him. Anybody for sure. re-watching the race, I watched it back last night, completely forgot about Tyler Reddick. He crosses the white flag and he's like, he gets on the radio, good job, guys, hell of a job, run top five. <laughs> and then uh, his his crew chief, Randall Burnett, says, come on, it's the white flag, drive, mother <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, that was uh, – I completely forgot about that. I thought you were just talking about them yeah. being a wild man behind the wheel. No, and, and the, the funniest part that about like that whole thing, I wonder if, if Chuck can, can splice in the, the radio audio from that because – he wouldn't. He didn't take his thumb off the button. He just literally talked for like fifteen seconds off the gas, like undoing his belts. Like, hey, good job, guys. Good job in the pit. Solid day, man. Let's continue to get after it. And Randall on the other lane is trying to talk to him, like, drive, go. He gave he gave a full blown Emmys length speech. They were starting <laughs> to play the music at the end of that. <laughs> they so. did. So I think that I think that there's a good chance Reddick actually takes one lap extra after the checkered flag just to make sure he's still going. So we've yeah. got the field versus Toyotas. We've got – you're taking Larson over Reddick. I'm taking the flip side. I'm taking Reddick over Larson. I think uh, both of those guys are masters of running the fence. Tyler Reddick won two Xfinity Series championships at Homestead by doing such. I don't know, man. I think Larson's been the fastest car there a couple times and hasn't sealed the deal. So maybe 
Maybe the time away has done him well, a little, little bit of uh, you know patience, maturity. We'll see. But I know both of those guys are going to be up in the mix uh, here this weekend at Homestead. Yeah, can't wait. All right, man, I, lo- I love this section, heads or tails. We need to start keeping score, but I know I'm up by about 20 or so. But my next favorite, Corey Stories. This is Jocko Flacco, guys. Stay tuned. On last week's installment of Corey Stories, I mentioned an incident involving a monkey, maybe some testicles. And it got me thinking. Before you ask, no, we're not going to cover the St. James Davis chimpanzee incident from the 90s. Instead, I'm going to talk to you about completely different species of monkey altogether. A rhesus monkey. We're going to hop in the way, way back machine to 1953. Fort Payne, Alabama native Tim Flock was coming off a spectacular 1952 season, winning 8 of 33 races, not to mention NASCAR Cup Series Championship. He's moving up to the checkered flag. Tim Fox Mercury wins in record time. His crew moved down to the turn to meet him as Fox takes one extra lap before stopping at his pit to pick up brother Fatty and Bill Strop, Mercury crew chief. It's been a long day of racing. What a difference a year makes. At the start of the new season, Tim couldn't seem to find the success of the previous year. So, Ted Chester who owned the Hudson Hornet at the Tim race, hatched a plan to make sure his young driver remained in the spotlight. Chester had apparently visited a pet shop in his hometown of Atlanta to buy a puppy for a family member's birthday. But it wasn't a puppy that caught his eye that day. It was instead a young Reese's monkey named Jocko. That set Ted's mind off like a rocket ship. He thought, now what if we put Jocko in the car with my driver, Tim Flock? So on that fateful day, the idea of Jocko Flocko was born. I mean, at the very least... A monkey riding shotgun on the Grand National Circuit was bound to create headlines. And what sponsor doesn't love to see their name in the papers? Reese's monkeys were no stranger to going fast. In fact, three of the first four living beings set into space by NASA in the 1940s were Reese's monkeys. Oddly enough, all of them were named Albert. And sadly, none of them survived their trips. That's tragic. It's sad. All the Alberts are dead. I mean... The good news is the first primate to be successfully recovered alive after a trip to space was a rhesus monkey named Abel. That was in 1957, so after the story we're focusing on that took place. So I digress. When Ted Chester brought Jocko to the garage where Tim and his team were working on the car, they thought he'd gone bananas. Sorry. Ted Chester came up to me one day at the car lot in Atlanta and said, Tim, I've got a real cute African monkey. Would you let him ride in the race car with you? I said, Ted, have you lost your mind? I said, I don't believe NASCAR let us do that. But he said, would you let him ride? I said, well, you own the car. I'll, I'll, I'll let him ride. With Tim's quote-unquote blessing, Chester set out the rest of his plan. He was going to install a special seat with two nylon belts on the passenger side of the car so Jocko could look out the window and wave at the spectators and other competitors whenever they drove by. Jocko was going to have his own helmet, goggles, driving suit, complete with the number 91 sun on the back. The best part, according to Chester, was NASCAR wasn't going to know about it. First race came on April 5th, 1953 at Old Charlotte Motor Speedway. Flock was on the pole for the race. The crew smuggled Jocko into the garage and strapped that little daredevil primate into a special made seat right before the start of the race. NASCAR officials and competitors were none the wiser. The story, as is told by the members of the Flock family, is that the cars poured into turn one. One of the drivers looked over, saw Jocko staring at him, maybe waving, and he almost wrecked. I mean, think about it from the perspective of Curtis Turner, 
Fireball Roberts or Buck Baker. There you are, driving around, minding your own business, and look over, and boom, there's a monkey. I mean, if I had a nickel, I'd have nothing because I have never, ever seen anything like that. Tim and Jocko led the field for more than half the race. Duo ended up finishing in fourth place, but the splash old Ted Chester hoped for had been made. Spectators clambered into the pits to get a glimpse of the fastest monkey in the South. Get it? Like the fastest chicken, but the fastest monkey. History was made on May 16, 1953, at Hickory Speedway when man and monkey became the first co-driving team to win a race in the NASCAR Cup Series. Tim got his Hudson Horton to lead after about 30 laps and never looked back. Hickory Daily Record recorded Flock roared to victory, beating off the tournament threats by many of the nation's top drivers. What the Hickory Daily Record failed to mention was that on that day, Jocko Flacco became the first and only primate to win at NASCAR's highest level. In 1984, Flock told Sports Illustrated all the other drivers at the time were concerned with the percentage they got paid from their sponsors. I told them I had it easy. If I got tired after 100 laps, I'd let Jocko drive. All I had to pay him was a banana and 5%. Unfortunately, Jocko's driving career didn't last too much longer. After disappointing finishes in Martinsville and Powell Motor Speedway in Columbus, Ohio, Flock and Jocko looked to rebound at the inaugural Raleigh 300 on the brand-new one-mile paved oval Raleigh Speedway. Tim was at the front of the pack all day and truly believed he had a shot to win. Only his brother, Fonny Flock, stood in the way, or so he thought. At this point, I think it's best if I let Tim Flock relate to you what happened next. We had a board on our floorboard in our car with a chain. We could pull that board and had a, a light. We could see the right front tire, and when a white streak come that tire, you, you had to come in and change it with about two laps. But he had watched me pull that cord. He got out from under both belts and went down, and this is a true story, went down and a pebble, hit him on the head, and he come and got on my back. Here I'm running at 85, 90 mile an hour, and leading the race, and Funny's running second, and Speedy Thompson was third. So I come down pit road, and I, real slow and easy, I hand him to a pit crew, and I caught second gear, but Funny come by and Speedy, that monkey cost me $750 difference. I guess you can say Jocko went a little ape shit crazy that day. Tim really had to get that monkey off his back, didn't he? That race was really um, bananas. Okay, okay, I'll, I'm, I'm done now, I'm done continue the story. Jocko's racing career had come to an end after just eight races. Whenever he was asked what happened to his primate co-pilot, he was reported to have said, I couldn't teach him how to sign his autograph, so I had to fire him. The truth was, however, far less glamorous. According to Tim's wife, Frances Flock, Jocko was never quite the same after that Raleigh race. He refused to eat, had to be euthanized by a veterinarian. The win with Jocko was Flock's only win in 1953. He would go on to win 22 more races in his career. Hell, 18 of those came in 1955 alone, which of course helped him earn his second NASCAR Cup Series championship that season. Tim Flock hung up his helmet in 1961. is one of early NASCAR's greatest drivers. But even with all his on-track success, the thing that Flock is most known for is that glorious eight-race stretch in 1953 that he and a rhesus monkey named Jocko raced their way into the history books, and more importantly, into the hearts of NASCAR fans everywhere. When Tim Flock passed away in 1998, what do you think they wrote about in his obituary? I mean, sure, they mentioned his race wins and two championships, but right there in black and white in the New York Times of all places was a story of how Jocko Flocko cost Tim Flock $750 during a race at Raleigh Speedway in 1953 which has never been done before in NASCAR history, stopped, made a pit stop to put a monkey out of your race car. You can't do nothing like that no more. And there you have it. The Jocko Flacco story is one of my favorites. Thanks for Chuck for digging up the research and the sound bites to, to make that happen. So Jocko Flacco, 
Tim Flock, hell of a story. Tune in next week. We'll see what we put together for Corey's stories. The show's dwindling down. It's a sad time, but you know what? Right when you get home, you reach in your pocket and you pull out that pocket lint Merriman and you get all those couple those couple pennies, a couple nickels maybe if you're lucky, and you put them on the you put them on the counter. That's your spare change. Now what's the spare change this week? The spare change this week is that Ben Rose won the longest truck race of all time. Uh, I felt like that I actually went to sleep, woke up, fell asleep again, woke back up and still had three three green white checkers to go. So congrats, Ben Rhodes, for winning the longest truck race of all time, which actually ended up being longer than the cup race. Oh, yeah, watch the crew, will you? I mean, they were gracious enough to be on my car this weekend. Kevin James is Kevin Gibson in the show, crew chief extraordinaire. Check them out. Netflix, the crew, check it out this week. And another amazing bit of spare change. This is the first time since 1950. The first two winners of the year have been first-time winners. That's crazy. Maybe we can make a three. We, we, we do. We have a chance with Tyler Reddick or Corey LaJoy. Stay tuned. Homestead Miami Speedway coming right up. Come back next week. We'll stack some pennies.